Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Hello there and welcome to Tech Radio in association with Fidelity Investments. We are the number one Irish tech podcast bringing you news in tech from around Ireland and across the world. Remember you can hear Tech Radio on air with RTE Friday evenings or anytime you like with your favourite podcasting app from Apple, Google or Spotify. We also keep you up to date daily on all things tech with hourly updates and daily newsletters which you can grab for free at techcentral.ie. Our programme is kindly sponsored by Fidelity Investments, who are now hiring for tech roles in Ireland. You can apply now at fidelityinvestments.ie to virtually join a global leader in fintech innovation from the safety of your own home, fidelityinvestments.ie. My name is Dusty Rhodes. This is episode 828. And joining me, as always, is Niall Kitson, editor at Tech Central. Niall, first thing uh, is it's the August bank holiday weekend. It's holiday season, big time. It's allegedly, allegedly. Yeah. Mm. Uh, staycation seems to be the uh, uh, the word this year, but. You think kind of, you know, going away, you're wary of, you know, kind of being ripped off and all kinds of frauds. Is the same thing happening in Ireland or are you any safer here? Yeah, well, this is the thing. Cabin fever has been setting in for what, the last three months in earnest. Uh, I think all goodwill towards lockdown has probably evaporated at this stage. People are counting down the days to the pubs reopening. Uh, There's a really wonderful ad campaign going at the moment where the the tempo of it is, please get us out of the house. We're going on holiday. Uh, Wonderful. Great idea. However, where there's a great idea, there's also a scam to accompany it. So uh, the Banking and Payments Federation of Ireland are doing a campaign called Fraud Smart. And basically it is what it says on the tin. It's about spotting scams. Uh, and of course, the staycation uh, idea has plenty of scams coming with it. So some very simple tips to keep yourself uh, and your money safe for the next few weeks anyway is uh, and you know these are techniques that we're used to seeing in so many areas of life and now they've just they seeped their way into uh, into hospitality as well but basically you are seeing uh, things like copycat websites uh, fake emails being uh, distributed landing in your spam folder saying you know five nights for the price of three or, you know, visit our five-star hotel for half nothing or, you know, we're sending this on behalf of a hotel that you are convinced shut down years ago, but hey, look, they're back in business. And of course, ads on social media because social media is not to be trusted with pretty much anything really, is it? Not a single, I wouldn't even give social media my name. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and as always, the the same uh, advice applies to any sort of scam or email or anything. Don't click on links that uh, you might identify in an email. If you can see the URL, you will get an idea of where the website is actually going, whether it's to a a reputable booking website or the vendor or the, the hotel or whatever's website directly. But if you see a giant string of letters, numbers ending in a domain, say in Russia or China or somewhere that has absolutely nowhere to do with Ireland, 
bit of a red flag as well, I think it's fair to say. Uh, also at sort of the logistic level, uh, avoid transfers, uh, avoid bank transfers with people directly. If you can use a portal, um, particularly something like PayPal or something like that, um, these things are much preferable, not infallible. I mean, they're not scam proof, but uh, much better at protecting yourself. Uh, make sure that the property exists that you're going to that's a pretty good one as well. Yeah, but that's not so easy to do. That's that's great advice. Make sure it exists. But it, you don't know who owns it. You can look it up on Google Street View or something and go, hey, the property's there. It exists. But how do you know that that person is? Yeah, anyway, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and of course, uh, stick to reputable companies if you can, uh, if you can do so. Mm. And reputable, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to go to a chain hotel or anything like that. It just means, you know, check up on somebody's Yelp reviews. Do a basic Google search to make sure they're still trading profitably, doing well for themselves, all this sort of thing. And look, we're all in this together. It's a it's a strange and unusual mm. time. And if we can support Irish businesses, we should. Um, now, I, I think the general advice is, is that if you are going on holidays abroad, you're a lot more aware because you're in a strange situation. So the advice is basically just pretend Ireland is exactly the same and you're just as likely to get ripped off by somebody booking an Irish holiday as you would one in Spain. Do you know what? That's pretty good advice. There you go. Well, I'm a sensible man. Not according to my wife, but according to lots of other people, I'm sure. <laughs> Listen, speaking of staying at home, uh, Google making the news this week because, uh, you know, all their, their employees are uh, working from home at the moment, but uh, Google have, have gone one further and extended that period of time. Yeah, they have. Yeah. Now, they, they haven't done what Facebook and Twitter have done. Well, Facebook said, look, if you can ever possibly work from home, just do that. But you there is a place here in our offices. Twitter basically said, if you can work from home, you don't need to come into the office, full stop. Uh, now, Google, you know, being the size of the organization they are, Google employs 200,000 people worldwide. I mean, how do you shepherd that kind of workforce? So they've basically said, look, yes, there is a place for you in our offices, but uh, how's about you just work from home until summer 2021? There you go. You make that you make that sound very dramatic, but actually, do you know what? That's 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 quite sensible, because one of the things with lockdown, and you'll remember, is well, it's going to be it'll be locked down until this date, and then oh no, we're extending it another two weeks, and then that that will drive you nuts, right? Mm. Now a lot of people uh, have got kids and and, and husbands and, and plans and everything, and you know uh, we have a set cycle that that we live in. You've got summer. Kids are back to school, all right? And then you've got September right through till May and then it's back into summer again. That's kind of it. And even people who don't have kids or whatever fall into that cycle to a certain extent. So Google kind of saying to people, all right, one more year of this and we'll see where we are. Do you know what I mean? At least now you can kind of say to yourself, if you work for Google, all right, okay, uh, I know that when the kids are in school, I will be working from home and you can plan it for the year. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good way of doing it. All right. I mean, mm. the, things do seem to cycle around the school year, especially the school year that we have coming. I mean, it's it's going to be, again, massively disrupted in terms of how mm. things work, uh, yeah. let alone at the level of the curriculum. So, yeah, the more the more flexibility employers can offer in that respect, the mm. better. Um, now, would you like me to throw a spanner in the works? Go, please do. <laughs> I think COVID is great for all these employers who are going work from home, all right? 
But here's my thing, is that normally if you're going to work from home for a long time, you're going to devote a certain space in your home to that work. Yes. And chances are it's going to be a spare bedroom. Mm-hmm. Or maybe uh, maybe you've got a spare room downstairs or maybe half of your living room or something like that. But it's going to take up approximately, let's say, 20% of your home. I think I see where you're going with this. Continue. Who pays for that? Yep. Should, should you charge your employer 20% of your mortgage as rent? Well, when you think about it, if you are devoting a space to one use and one use only, uh, there's merit in it. Exactly. And it's for the profit of somebody else. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then they might turn around and say, yeah, but you're saving, you know, an hour, an hour and a half commute and all that kind of money and petrol and stuff like that. But it does. The rent will be way higher than that. Yeah. And they're they're making money, um, probably extra money off your improved productivity. Uh, Precisely. Uh, Well, that is if you you do have improved productivity. (laughs) Oh, come on, Dusty. I'm I'm sure there are lots of people who don't. Well, who's to say? <laughs> who's to say? But anyway, I think this whole thing, I think that is the next thing that's, that's going to come. It's like, you know, working from home is great. Yes. But do you know what? That is a sizable chunk. Of, even if it is just a desk and a seat and a, and a computer or a laptop or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Or do, do you know? Do you really want to work off your laptop on your kitchen table? Is that a professional thing to do? Is it good for your head? Well, I mean, it's something that we do. Um, mm-hmm. because it's just part of part of the territory with us. Mm-hmm. But I think, yeah, if you if you work for a company, you should be issued with a laptop. You should be issued with the tools that you need. No, I don't mean with a laptop, but I'm just saying for your own for your own mental health is sitting at your own kitchen table with a laptop doing work. Is that a good environment? Uh, officially, the, the logic is or the wisdom is no, it's not good for mm. you. Um, I live in a situation where there is two of us remote working and mm. it suits one of us more than the other. <laughs> oh, did you hear that? Did you hear that, my friend, listening to the podcast? It suits one of us. Well, no, I mean, we've got different hardware setups uh, <laughs> and that's that's just the way it is. I'm more mobile. Yeah. I know that. I, I'm, 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 I'm half taking the mic, but I'm, I'm, I'm half being serious as well. All of these issues are now your issues. That's true. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Your employer washes the hands, go, no, nah, no, nah, you want to work home? It's just interesting questions to ask. Listen, one more story to go with yep. this week, and that is uh, good news from Amazon. Uh, they're investing in Ireland quite substantially. Um, we all know Amazon for buying things online. What kind of jobs are Amazon going to be creating here? Uh, tremendous good news, actually. 1,000 jobs uh, created by Amazon in Dublin and Cork, which would bring Amazon's total workforce in Ireland to 5,000. So that's, you know, that's a very substantial workforce. And they're building a new office in Dublin, uh, which should be finished by 2022. And there's a lot of interesting things going on in there in terms of bringing in startups and creating a, an ecosystem there where sort of big companies can learn from smaller ones. And, and it's fantastic now the jobs that are actually being created over here they're not work uh, uh, warehouse jobs or anything like that these are to do amazon web services which is the cloud end of the of the uh, company so basically in the same way that amazon have you know massive warehouses full of stuff they also have massive warehouses full of servers uh, and the capacity to run basically anything that they want um, the service that we're recording of this, Amazon Web Services is probably involved in it in some way, shape, or form, uh, be it you know at the at the server level, um, in all likelihood. 
And uh, these are jobs that are in engineering, they're in networks, they're in DevOps, they're in software support and engineering. These are proper heavy industry jobs which are coming to Ireland, which are the sort of jobs that we want to see. These are high value, high skilled jobs. Um, And it's fantastic news for Ireland because I remember interviewing companies that are coming over here years ago, um, not quite in the infancy of the show, but you know, a long time ago. And these were international companies coming over, setting up small regional or sales offices to sell into England or Europe and that kind of thing. Very small offices with a few people and all the decisions and the innovations being made in America. Uh, now we're getting to the stage where the innovations can be made in Ireland by you know professionals made in Ireland and sold maybe by offices somewhere else or maybe in Ireland as well. So uh, these are exactly the kind of jobs that we want to see in Ireland and great. Excellent. A big thumbs up uh, for that. I got a bit of a shock the other day. I, I'm sure you saw it in the news. Um, uh, uh, Bezos' ex-wife, what's her name? Mackenzie Scott. Yeah. She got 4% worth of Amazon apparently in the divorce. Yeah. Which was worth $35 billion. Four oh, percent was worth thirty-five billion. All right, and because of COVID crisis and stuff like that, uh, Amazon has been doing phenomenally well because everybody wants home deliveries, and now her stock is worth sixty billion. Oh goodness! <laughs> it's like goodness. now. I mean, th- in fairness, in fairness to her, she has said she's going to give most of it away, and she's working with uh, Bill and Melinda Gates and mm-hmm. their uh, foundation stuff like that. Uh, whereas Jeff, no. Nope, he ain't taking part in that. <laughs> uh, to each their own, I guess. Absolutely. absolutely. Listen, Niall, thank you for the news as always. We've been talking a lot today about uh, working from home and online work and stuff like that, which is exactly what our sponsor, Fidelity Investments, are doing at the moment. They're hiring for tech roles here in Ireland. Uh, you can find out more and make an application at fidelityinvestments.ie to virtually join this global leader in fintech innovation from the safety of your own home. That website address again is fidelityinvestments.com. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. The government COVID-19 tracing app has now been downloaded over one million times with hundreds of thousands of us checking daily to see if we've been experiencing any symptoms and also what to do about it. However, here's a question for you. How did a project like this get from idea to app so quickly, especially when you're looking at a mix of public and private sector. Well, Niall Kitson went to find out by talking to Phil Codd, CEO of Explio, to discuss his company's experience in putting the app together and what it was like to coordinate the effort between the public and tech sectors. The first problem that people would look to uh, engaging the effectiveness of any sort of app or indeed the appropriateness of technology in looking at COVID-19 outbreak is in looking at the pace of digital change and how quickly companies and projects have had to appear to become live, to become useful to people. Were you surprised at this pace of change? Well, I suppose uh, surprised possibly, but it it was uh, a must do in terms of the COVID app. Um, and that, that, that change and that, that pace that took place, bearing in mind that the, the inception was, was, was in March and we were just in the 
COVID period at that stage, and we were all trying to figure out what our part was um, to when the app actually get got launched in this instance. Um, is a really condensed time frame, and I think the you know the the, the digital. Uh, part of this in terms of the the actual development, uh, the agile way it was uh, approached, um, the uh, streams that were put together. And for us, you know, from a quality uh, assurance point of view, that was really the stream that we played heavily in. Um, that was what made this, I think, such a success in in the time frame that we we had to uh, to to work on it. Both the development company Neoform and ourselves, along with the HSE and uh, and the government. And when you're looking at those stakeholders, you do have the public sector that traditionally moves very slowly, uh, the private sector that moves fast to break things, and then later comes under scrutiny. Um, so you have these two. Um, uh, bodies working in tandem. How did you find yourself sort of caught in the middle where it was everybody on the one page from the get-go that this is the necessity, this is how quickly we have to move? Or was there any sense of, okay, hang on, we have to do this in accordance with best practice and here it is? Well, I think the the, the two things, the, the speed at which it happened um, was very different to, to normally we'd see in, in public sector. Um, we got a call from uh, the government on Saturday uh, to say, here was the program, could we actually help? And we had a team stood up by Monday and they were operating effectively from that day. Um, and ordinarily you would see a procurement process that may take a period of time. And uh, luckily in this instance, the government were able to get um, special dispensation to, to work outside of those rules. So whilst no rules were broken, they were able to operate outside of the, the normal rule book for, uh, for procurement activity. So that was the first thing. Um, the second thing is, yes, you had multi-agencies um, as well as multi-parties. Um, so you, you had the HSE obviously involved. You had the um, the Office of the Government Procurement. Um, you had the, um, the Data Protection Commission involved uh, because that was very important, as well as the development company Neoform um, ourselves uh, doing the, the the quality assurance. So you had um, you know quite a federated set of stakeholders, but it really did operate very well. Every day there was a stand up. Every day there was a uh, there was a, a checkpoint uh, session, and and everybody participated and communicated and that went on you know uh, tirelessly for uh, the, the the months that, that kind of ensued thereafter and of course you had the added benefit of building on technologies that are actually out there that being were being worked on by apple and were being worked on by google to to which extent did this help accelerate your own development process well i guess the the the, the the key piece of the technology was obviously around Bluetooth. Um, and, you know, Bluetooth is ordinarily used for uh, by all of us for connecting uh, devices to other devices. And certainly for, for playing music is what, what it's probably famous for. So to take it and say, OK, can we actually use the, 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 uh, the concept of Bluetooth to do proximity uh, testing and um, a durational testing, because ultimately what the app is looking to do is is find people who also have the app who are within proximity to you of, of two meters and for a period of 15 minutes. So it really did turn, uh, you know, what, what Bluetooth is designed on its on its head. And, and I think that, you know, there were technical challenges. Um, but what was really 
cool about the whole thing is that both um, Google and Apple came together to be part of the solution and to open up um, further elements of their APIs to enable this to really work. And, you know, that for me was the icing on the cake. So not only did you have a multi-government dis, um, uh, discipline running, you had um, uh, private sector organizations and you had both Google and Apple coming to the table at the same time to, to make the technology work as best as it can. Looking then towards what people regard as the elephant in the room with these things, especially with a product that has come to market so quickly, is the issue of GDPR compliance and, and privacy. Um, because I know uh, from personal experience, it has been a little bit of a barrier for people signing up for the app because they just, they're not confident they know what kind of information is being given up. Despite the fact that, you know, the the um, documentation within the app is, is quite comprehensive. So uh, again, how did you find that as another hurdle to get over to reassure people that, yes, you have downloaded this, but look, we're not look, looking for much in the way of personal identifiable information. We don't want to be able to tell people that you pass in the street that, hey, person X has been diagnosed with COVID. You should, you should all run away. <laughs> How do you get that messaging across as quickly and as simply as possible? Well, I, I think, um, you know, again, the, the, the HSE and the government went to great lengths to work with the Data Protection Commissioner um, to ensure that what was being proposed was actually going to pass muster for them. Um, and that the, the, the amount of data that's held within the app is minimal and actually is completely unidentifiable because it's, it's, it's obviously being coded. Um, and so there are no personal details that are actually held uh, within your phone. And I think more importantly, and this is, this is where the real success has come, no data is transferred to any central data point. So there is no central point where all the data gets held. It's quite simply held on your phone. And if you get, if you get ill, um, you should then seek uh, medical help. And the advice will be uh, to, to, to get your test. But also you can then contact, say, look, through the app, I'm, I'm not feeling well. Um, the, the app will then send you a message and say, okay, well, um, if, if you're okay with this, we can ping electronically all the other devices. It's not the telephone number. It's actually um, app to app to tell them that they all should should um, they, they should get tested. But it doesn't actually um, involve telling anybody else who actually was the, the, the original inceptor or, or person that has the, the, uh, the um, COVID virus itself. So it all happens anonymously. And then it's down to you as the individual, if you receive a message that says, hey, you could have been in contact with somebody. We recommend that you get a test. Let us know and we'll organize the test for you. So that's the, that's the minimal amount of data that moves around. I think that, that's been the big success. And at the same time, I think the government did a really good job, along with the HSE, in the communications that went out with this. Um, because obviously data and, and, and GDPR was a, a, a prime concern for a lot of people. Um, and I think, you know, when you look at the number of people that downloaded the app on, on day one, you know, there was over a million downloads on the first day. That was testament to, to how um, happy the Irish public were with the, the statements that were made um, by the HSE and the government towards data protection. 
And I think when you log in every day and you can see the uptake and the, the number of people actively participating and using the app, I, I think that's particularly, um, it, it must be rewarding from a developer perspective to see that something is so low maintenance, but also having the option to see the data that's the uh, that's there that is being collected, showing the, the spread of the, or rather the, the distribution of the virus, to which extent that that this sort of small user experience element become part of the, the DNA of the app to, to help people realize that you're giving something, but we're giving you something in return. Sure. I think that the whole design of the app is, is, is very cool. I think the, the UX was critical because it, you know, we were looking to, it was uh, aimed at everybody, um, uh, 16 up. Uh, in age, so anyone that had a mobile phone um, that, that could use it. So it, it needed to be simple. It needed to be easily understood. Um, and I think again, you know, that the, the simplicity of it is is the beauty of it. It could have crammed all sorts of things in there. Um, it could have used location services. Um, you know, it could be constantly sending messages. Uh, but it, it was just a very simple app to say, yes, I'd like to be part of this program, um, and yes, I'd like to, you know, check in each day um, or as frequently as I possibly can to be part of this kind of fight against COVID. Um, it's not the entire answer, it's, um, but it has already been um, proven potentially to save lives because we, they've already found uh, people that have contracted the virus um, have been able to contact uh, people around them and people that they were connected with and, and potentially um, you know, to, to save lives, but at least make sure that those people are aware that they do get contacted and they do have the option to go and get tested. Now we've been, uh, we've heard uh, that from other countries, a certain percentage of the population would have to be invested or have to have downloaded or used an app like this in order for it to be effective. What sort of metrics are you looking at for yourselves uh, to be able to say, okay, the app was a success? Or is it a case of having to look down the road to the next thing that happens that will require an app like this and seeing what learnings will be integrated at that stage of the process instead of maybe looking at raw numbers from today and tomorrow and going, okay, job done. Well, I think it's it's continuous. It's not, you know, COVID isn't going to go away, but I think just, uh, as I said, the, the, the initial take up, the, the, um, the, the numbers of people that downloaded the app in its first instance um, Ireland was one of the one of the highest countries um, to actually accept and get get behind such uh, a piece of technology so I think that's you know that's the kind of the basis of it um, I think as you said when you check each day you know you can see that there is roughly about I, I've seen myself personally there's about a quarter of a million each day of people that just go yeah I'm fine or or, or, or no they're not um, I think as time goes on and bear in mind it's it's only been with us for a couple of weeks um, as we get more and more um, statistical information around uh, you know the number of cases that may have been um, at, at least found through the app um, or at least um, helped to diagnose uh, potentially others in in the uh, in the space as those numbers come through and we start to you know build up a better picture of that then I think you can really say, well, you know, there is a great testament to the fact that this has helped as part of the overall uh, scenario that we have against COVID-19.
And that was Niall Kitson chatting with Phil Codd, CEO of Explio, who designed the COVID-19 tracing app for Ireland. That's it for our show this week. Thank you for listening and also to our sponsor, Fidelity Investments, who are hiring for tech roles here in Ireland. You can apply at fidelityinvestments.ie to virtually join a global leader in fintech innovation from the comfort and safety of your own home. It's fidelityinvestments.ie is their website address. Of course, you can also get the uh, lowdown on all things tech here in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website techcentral.ie or listen to us each week online or Fridays on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. On the next time, from myself Dusty Rhodes and from Niall Kitson, thanks so much for listening and enjoy the bank holiday weekend. Take care. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.